Welcome to the Security Sessions podcast, brought to you by Talist and hosted by me, Nera Jones. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing the technologies, people, and processes behind information security and delving into topics like data security, remote access, and digital transformation. We'll be speaking to Talis and industry experts to bring you fresh perspectives on how to navigate the world of cloud security. In today's episode, we will be discussing the 2021 Talis Cloud Security Study. The COVID-19 pandemic has accelerated what has been a long-term, broad adoption of cloud environments, including multi-cloud and hybrid deployments. Organizations need to extend and adapt their capabilities to take more control of their security efficiently and effectively in these new dispersed environments. Today, we will be discussing the 2021 Talis Cloud Security Study, and it is my pleasure to welcome Saul Cates, Principal Technologist at Talis, and we will break down some of the key findings and statistics in the report. Welcome, Saul. Can you briefly introduce yourself? Yes, thank you so much. Again, it's great to hear you and then talk to you again. Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Saul Cates, and I'm the principal technologist here at Talus. I focus a lot on cloud and cyber, and I have for 25 plus years now. Um, some of my insights, hopefully, will, will, will be aligned to what we hear in the report, particularly around multi-cloud and you know how organizations are dealing with their data security in a very dis- decentralized and centralized new world. So looking forward to it. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, let's dive straight into it. Lots of numbers uh, in the current report. So, but for us, what is the big number? What is that one data point that is the most important in this report, according to you, Sol? One of the most important and interesting ones is we hear the words multi-cloud a lot. And I think when we talk about software as a service, it's fairly well understood that you're going to have quite a few because of the functions and capabilities it gives you. But the interesting numbers I heard was about 43% of organizations use only one infrastructure as a service provider uh, and rely upon them for their technologies and integrations. And then the next number up from that is 47% have at least two. And be curious to understand because of that 90% coverage there that second category of two infrastructure clouds, why do they have two? Is it by design? Is it by accident or acquisition? So yeah, that's a very interesting to see. We say the words multi-cloud a lot, but when it comes to infrastructure, I think we're a little bit more conservative. Yeah, interesting. And especially, you know, with the increased digitization that we have experienced over the pandemic, there has been a lot of uh, market consolidation across industries. So so why is this fact relevant to organizations today, Sol? Well, I think it's very relevant considering we have a lot of decentralization and sovereignty concerns more than ever. So as organizations become and continue to grow to be more global and rely upon a global supply chain, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later, 
Um, they are putting all their eggs in one cloud provider's basket, hoping that they are able to meet the regional and global requirements of things like data sovereignty and control over things like encryption keys and so forth that are used to power how that data is protected. So as we grow more global as organizations and become more reliant uh, and compliance on things like GDPR and SHREMS2, the growing into multiple infrastructure providers would be very interesting to see um, how that plays out and why our hesitancy to grow into more clouds, because if you do the math right, you know, having three cloud providers shouldn't triple your costs. It should just be three unique choices. And uh, as you may imagine, I've poured over the reports because I absolutely love the statistics and uh, in terms of a cloud posture for uh, organizations as a whole, there were two data points that was uh, uh, particularly concerning for me. And uh, the first one was only 17% of organizations with multi-cloud environments encrypt more than half of their sensitive data. So 17% is a very low number. And the second data point uh, highlighted in the report was only 41% of sensitive data in the cloud is encrypted. And that 41% is actually a, a global average. So when looking in the report in a bit more detail, it actually turns out that only 26% of organizations use data discovery tools. So if you don't know what data you have, how can you secure it? What, what's your take on that, Saul? That's very interesting numbers. Um, if I reflect back almost 20 years ago now, I remember having a conversation with a CISO that was in the intelligence community. And when we started talking about protecting data. This is before cloud was a thing. The rule of thumb was find where you're sensitive data, the crown jewels and protect that. And it's something that stuck with me for many, many years. So now when we look at cloud and sort of the distributed nature of data, um, if you don't have the ability to discover it, you don't know where your crown jewels are. And even if you do find those assets and you know where they are, sounds like people aren't putting in the work or the controls to actually secure it. So if you don't know where it is and you're not securing what you do find, there's definitely a big glaring black hole there where data is sitting there potentially being sucked into somebody else's realm that you don't know because you don't have that discovery or control to protect it in place. And, and in fact, to your point, so, uh, the the survey uh, also showed that the use of uh, SaaS application is widespread across all geographies, verticals, yeah. and company sizes. So there was a, a good number in there because it said that there was a calculated weighted global average about, of about 60 applications per organization. So we knew that throughout the pandemic, we experienced a, a massive extension of the digital supply supply chain so as a result obviously we've got more more complexity but uh, uh, it is surprising that's what why we have all of that another data point in the report said only 16 percent use multi-factor authentication to secure 
more than half of their cloud services. And uh, uh, aside of cloud, it was actually even worse for on-premise infrastructure with only 16%. So, so why do you think that is? Because MFA has been known for quite a long time as, a, as an effective safeguard. Absolutely. Yeah, it is sort of alarming for sure. The, 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 the history of identity and authentication against that identity, whether it's a human or an administrative account or a system account, uh, multi-factor authentication was meant to solve particularly the human and administrator level uh, um, you know, authentication. And unfortunately, it sounds like either the adoption is a resistance for some reason, and probably it's budget. Uh, it's a big project to undertake for one application alone if you haven't implemented it in the past. A first round is going to take you a little bit of time to pick your vendor, find your integrations, and so on and so forth. Um, but also a lot of these you know, cloud in particular technologies already have this feature. And so not adopting it is either a choice, uh, again, of they haven't consolidated a strategy um, or they just you know, are, are not prioritizing that because of whatever you know, uh, um, technology reasons they might see, you know, seeing more and more dependency upon three or four MFAs potentially because they've got 60 applications, as you said, that are SaaS. Maybe one doesn't fit. You have to use multiples, and that could confuse and cause a lot of chaos within your organization and employees that do need to authenticate securely. That's indeed very, very worrying. So what, what do you think are some of the other important key findings in the report? I think uh, the, the, the number of organizations that are protecting data in the cloud is still so low. Uh, I mean, I've been reading uh, our, our threat report and data threat reports for years. And when cloud came online, we thought that we'd see a lot more adoption of encryption because of the fact it's in the cloud. It's in somebody else's infrastructure and potentially could be exposed. And not to say that cloud is not as secure, it can quite often be more secure, but the lack of putting encryption into place in a organization that's not yours, if available, is alarming. There's a lot of services that are natively able to protect your data and even offer you the access to the key management of that data. And if organizations aren't taking that on as a project or strategy, they're exposed. And it's sort of alarming that the numbers are so low out there. Absolutely. It's definitely alarming. As, as we were discussing just earlier on, if you, if you don't know where the data is because of the increase, increasing complexity of, uh, of the environment, especially if you're, if you're using multiple uh, cloud services, uh, how, how can you actually encrypt it if you don't even know it's there? I mean, uh, what best practice would you actually advise uh, organizations to deploy? Definitely, you need to look at things like key management for all these different cloud native encryption options is one step that I'd say is very critical. Um, I remember the first couple of cloud providers coming to organizations like uh, Talos asking for help. Their customers are saying, please encrypt my data. And their 
options are to either find a partner or to build it themselves. And we've seen both. We've seen probably three. No option. We built it ourselves or we found a way to partner through a, an API or a standard. So I think the, the, the adoption of encryption brought in this need for key management of the cloud. So that's one of the first things I would say it's important is understanding your options. And most of those options will have either a key management integration for yourself to manage um, you know, through a tool that you might be able to go uh, acquire in the market, including from companies like Talos, but also look for those opportunities where you can bring the encryption and control of that. Bring your own encryption, bring your own key. These are concepts we're seeing over and over again. Um, and I think that that synergy between your cloud providers and your requirements as a security and data steward um, are, are, are critical. And so making sure key management is probably one of the most complex things to sort out, but it's a great starting project because it exposes where the data is, where the controls should be, and how to centralize that key management so you can have freedom of migration movements and, and management. The, the report obviously looks at uh, various geographies, and I did notice in there that uh, uh, some some geographies perhaps required more data localization because of uh, 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 local regulation than, than others did. So could that help with that in that respect, complying about a particular country's regulation in terms of localization? Yes, indeed. I think it can. I think it's going to be a catalyst of multiple changes. Um, you know, sovereignty is a common conversation nowadays, whether it's self-sovereignty for the individuals, whether it's national or regional sovereignty, or even organizational sovereignty, a given company making sure they have control over what's inside their purview or their realm. Um, so I think the, 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 the continued regulation and, and, and segmentation of data at a you know, logistic, sorry, a legal perspective, I should say, um, is one thing that's going to create a lot more demand for decentralization of data that's going to be regional. So you might be a global company running in 50 countries. Some point in the future, you could have 30 plus countries that must be isolated from each other. And the data must be regionalized and controlling the protection of that data is also part of the equation. You have to not only separate it, but protect it. It's where a lot of things like, again, Shrems 2 and, and other uh, precedences are, are putting the onerous on segmentation and protection all in one. Absolutely. Very wise words. So what additional lessons or best practice could organizations uh, deploy from reading this report? Data discovery, I think, is another key one. Uh, you mentioned it earlier, but actually having tools and a project and teams out there hunting and gathering the data bringing it under the controls of the security organization or the data governance you know, team. Every company is slightly different, but the mission should be find those crown jewels and protect them, segment them if required, and understand your relationship with all that data. Um, it's a vast amount of data that we currently have, but as you know, we're compounding this every year to more and more data in more and more places. And the decentralization of the controls uh, with you know regional data protection and sovereignty requirements 
is not going to go away. It's going to continue to grow. So best practices, get very good at finding your data because it's going to be in a lot more places and you have a lot more requirements on it over time. Very good point. And, and in fact, if we examine the many regulation, not just security regulations worldwide, but let's say financial services regulations, more and more certainly I've observed over the past few years that uh, regulation which were primarily aimed at financial services institutions such as the Second Payment Services Directive in Europe and others in other geography, all the anti-money laundering regulations and all, all that appertain to crypto companies. What's really interesting to see, Saul, is that all those regulations nowadays have extensive sections about data security and data protection. So data security and data protection are not, not no longer the sole realm of data privacy and security regulation. It also pervades into all the other regulations. So uh, in terms of the best practice that you've just highlighted, by actually knowing where your data is, that data may be subject to various types of regulatory scrutiny. And, and that could be very, very complex. So understanding where that is and what you need to do with it in terms of protection and safeguards is absolutely crucial. Do, do you find that your client actually asks you for help with that? Yes. Yes, indeed, they do. And I think one thing that I've just lesson learned with 20 plus years of being data security, um, the data doesn't care what you call it. You can call it PCI data, PII, whatever. The ones and zeros that make up data in its native form don't understand the regulations that are put on top of it. So with the advent of crypto and decentralization and, and protection of data in those new forms and, and looking at the, the, you know, the, the, the forcing functions you just mentioned, including things like payments and others and cryptocurrency exchanges, trying to limit the amount of fraud and, 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 and you know, laundering that's out there. This data first and data security first you know, step is great because we didn't have this back in the 90s and others when we started to expand out into the internet and create you know, reliance upon the internet and the systems that power it to do secure things like payments and others. We've learned that it's, it's not fit for the purpose we depend on it, it to be. So as we graduate into this next generation of architectures and try to reduce the, the amount of fraud and, and, and it's just lies that are digitally being passed um, you know, around the internet, making sure that we are guaranteeing delivery, guaranteeing authenticity, and also protecting the data that is being relied upon, whether it's ones and zeros that power a a banking transaction or settle your healthcare um, statements. Uh, you know, these are all things that are different regulations, but we're starting to see that requirement very early on for data security and data protection, because I think we've learned some lessons that we have to make sure we're protecting the data at the beginning, not the end of the machine of the game. 
Absolutely. We certainly have learned some lessons, but uh, criminals learn just as fast and perhaps faster than, than we do. And they're very quick to innovate. So uh, uh, it's, a, it's a very big challenge. So what you mentioned earlier on, uh, maybe uh, in, when we were talking about deployment of, uh, of MFA and uh, we were very surprised with the low rates of uh, adoption and you mentioned perhaps there were some budgetary constraints and also complex increasing complexity of the environment so so what are the key areas uh, that businesses should expect to invest in um, to address the challenges created by cloud migration because this is going to be an ongoing thing now Indeed it is. Indeed it is. I think there's a couple things for the organizations to be prepared to invest in. Um, zero trust slash MFA uh, projects uh, of actually connecting your identities that you manage as an organization to a given cloud infrastructure. And as you said earlier, there's 60 you know, plus SaaS and, and quite often in organizations. So that's a lot of footprints uh, out there to get your hands around. So making sure you've got a relationship from your identity platform into those systems. But I also think they need to be prepared over the next couple of years to start investing in new approaches to identity, including things like self-sovereignty, where you and I could create our own identities and enroll them either directly to the cloud services on the underneath the regulation or, or the governance of the organization or through the organization's identity platform. I think that's going to be the new norm. So getting comfortable with decentralizing the identities of your employees to be sovereign and then relying upon an integration through you and your partnerships with the cloud to be the way that we minimize or basically eradicate fraud because it's going to be reliant upon the individual's identity that has a KYC, a know your customer from a trusted entity like a government. So this is the new norm. It's gonna be something we wanna make sure that we're invested in early because the pivot is not hard. It's really reliant upon existing technologies and, 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 and protocols and APIs and, and applications, but it's gonna be investing in the people's sovereignty so that way they're not abused by the criminals of the, of the world. They are the they are the owners and the stewards of their own identity systems. Oh, absolutely. And I'm so glad you said that because uh, because uh, digital identity and authentication in general is a, is a pet subject of mine. So uh, I'm sure we'll be uh, talking about digital identity and all those good things in uh, some forthcoming Talis Security Session podcast. So uh, we're nearly running out of time, Saul. So uh, just one last question for you. So what is the one thing you would like to leave our audience with? Cloud is not scary. Cloud is secure. You can govern your data and your users in the cloud effectively. It just takes a different mindset. Don't consider the cloud a foreign uh, adversary. Consider it a, an ally that you need to learn how to work with and through. Um, so I'd, I'd say look at it not as something that's scary and less secure than your on-prem. It's quite often much more secure. So please, please embrace it. But make sure you're putting the right controls and governance on it. Very wise words indeed. So, 
Well, that's all we have time for. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to the Thales Security Sessions podcast. Today, we were discussing the 2021 Thales Cloud Security Study with Saul Kites, Principal Technologist at Thales and hosted by me, Nara Jones. Thanks for listening. Love this episode of the Thales Security Sessions podcast? Search us out on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast service to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Be sure to visit us at cpl.talusgroup.com to access previous episodes, bringing you insights from industry experts on the latest cloud and data security news and trends. Thank you for listening.